You are now listening to the Hack My Age podcast, the show that brings you guests for the woman going through the menopause journey. I'm your host, Zora Benamou, a gerontologist, certified sports nutrition, menopause, and breathing coach. I'm the author of the Longevity Master Plan and the cookbook Eating for Longevity. And if you're a woman in perimenopause or postmenopause, check out the programs on hackmyage.com website to biohack and optimize your menopause experience because menopause is inevitable, but suffering is optional. So now please head on over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review to help others find us too. This is a really important point because it costs nothing, but makes a huge impact for me to support a podcast from menopausal women to normalize this conversation about menopause and attract even more amazing guests to the show for you and for me. I've always wanted to do a podcast about stem cells, so I'm super excited to finally have found someone who can explain all about it to us. We will be talking with Dr. Jeffrey Gross, who treats patients on a daily basis with stem cells for their back injuries, hip and knee osteoarthritis, shoulder tears, and all the other joys that come with aging and menopause. (laughs) And Dr. Gross studied biochemistry and molecular cell biology at UC Berkeley. He decided to become a neurosurgeon, but then he shifted his career into regenerative medicine. So now he focuses on treating athletic injuries of the spine, hip, knee, and shoulder at the leading edge of the biological sciences. So he can really help people to depend less on their pharmaceuticals and drugs or avoid surgery if it's not all that necessary. So he founded his regenerative medicine practice called ReCelebrate in Nevada in the US, where he activates our own stem cell health to heal our bodies and prevent other health issues that may be coming up down the road. So before we move on, let's read the little disclaimer that Dr. Jeffrey Gross does not make any claims to maintain compliance uh, with the FDA, that stem cell therapy and related options quote unquote, cure or treat any disease or condition. So clear that. Now, without further ado, let's meet Dr. Jeffrey Gross. Welcome. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So before we dive into stem cells, tell us just briefly how or why you went from neurosurgery to the world of stem cells. Well, I think, uh, you know, it was out of frustration uh, by myself and by my patients who mostly spine patients, people with neck and back trouble, and uh, we, you know, we would try everything we could to help them, uh, therapies, medications, time, stretching, what have you. And then when sometimes when those things were inadequate to treat pain, then we had a discussion about surgery. And looking back, the surgeries that I learned to do, by and large, had not changed in 60 years. And you know, I go to annual meetings of spine surgeons, and they talk about the new gadget or gizmo to do that surgery. But Ultimately, we're either making more room in the spine or stabilizing or locking together parts of the spine. Those are kind of the two main categories of general spine surgery. But patients, you know, didn't want that necessarily. There's a group of patients who just aren't quite bad enough to to get there, don't want it. Uh, Spine surgery has a bad reputation. It doesn't indicate that you'd get full, full, you know, uh, eradication of your symptoms. So patients were frustrated. Doc, I don't want surgery, but I still have pain. What what else is there? How about stem cells? They'd come in and ask me lasers, stem cells, or this or that. And 
finally out of frustration with them and for them about 20 years into my practice, I said, you know, there's got to be something better to fill that gap between the traditional cortisone injections and, and surgery. So I went back and retrained and, and went back to my roots uh, of molecular cell biology. And I'd been following stem cells, but really hadn't been able to apply them clinically. So that, that was the origin of why I got back into this and sort of retooled uh, my practice 2.0. This is a similar story with so many people I interview who shift careers as doctors and they become frustrated because they can't help or fill in, fill in a gap, like you said, too. And, uh, or they may be giving them surgery and they're still not getting better with injections and still not getting better. And that's why many, many of you become doctors to help people. So when you can't help, I can imagine the frustration. So it's amazing that you've conned even further because that's a whole other education, it's a time investment, money investment and, and all that. So, so it's not easy, I bet to shift. And, and I'm glad you did because I'm excited to learn more about stem cells and people want to know what we have an idea, but most people have really no clue what really the details about it. And, and, and before we kind of go into this, I, I want to look at the woman who's getting closer to menopause. It's really not unusual that she starts to experience joint pain. That's one of the symptoms. And sometimes it's from an old injury and, and sometimes it seems like it comes out of nowhere and we can't even find any structural damage. But but women also are just generally more prone to arthritic conditions and have more intense pain than men. This is what I found through some research. And I want to know why is this happening? And, and do women in menopause who have these declining hormones, it, it, are they just setting themselves up because of that? Or are they more at risk? What's going on with the women, the menopause and this pain stuff, joint pain? Uh, yes. I, I think you, you kind of answered the question. Well, it, it uh, you know, a, a number of years ago, I did study, uh, you know, the hormonal optimization and, you know, the, the hormones in our bodies, whether they're male or female or, or what have you are kind of the oil in our engine. Um, they, they keep us functioning at an optimal level. And with age, those hormone levels tend to decline. And if you think about it the other way around, some, some enterprising physicians thought about this about 25 years ago or so, uh, perhaps we age because they decline. And that's you know when they started uh, you know, replacing with the bioidenticals and optimize, not just replacing, but optimizing, because everyone has a different level and number and that has to be done in a precise way. And, and it's not just a lab value, it's how you feel. And so ultimately, if we have our hormones humming at their optimal level, like when we were youthful, and by youthful, that mean, probably means a young adult or, or in our 20s, our inflammation is best controlled. And I said that vaguely because it is kind of a vague word. Inflammation is this chronic degrading of the body's tissues, and they tend to affect things like joints early. The moving parts tend to break first, if you will. And that's where you get words like arthritis or arthritic or rheumatism or bone on bone, but joint pain. And one way to help slow that inflammation and slow the degradation of the joints is to maintain hormone levels. I've heard of that as well, that women feel better once they've topped up or balanced or whatever these words that you want to use, because it is protective in many ways. And I think there's been a lot of misinformation and we're trying to disrupt that. And so joint pain, yeah. And that's but kind of makes sense why women may have 
more arthritic conditions than men or more intense pain as well. And there's there's a very interesting studies that have been going on through bioidentical therapy and glycan age, for example, was interesting. It's one of these biological age test kits. And they see that women, as they are uh, aging up until men- menopause, we tend to have a lower biological age, meaning how our body is in the inside, not just our chronicle age, the numbers. And then what they're seeing through these kits are as we hit menopause, we suddenly have this hockey stick curve, <laughs> intensely accelerated aging. And that's just shocking. And so then we become older than men because men seem to have their, their biological age and their chronological age quite quite similar or even worse in a worse condition all throughout their life. But women just, that hockey stick is kind of scary. And then once they put women on the bioidentical hormones, then that curve comes back down again, closer to their their chronological age and very interesting studies that they're doing there. So I, I uh, you know, that's just aging in general, we're getting a biological age, but the the joint pain and that that suffering and that you know, symptoms are, are a whole other ballgame. And so it is interesting to see how that can help. Is there anything else before we dive into the stem cells? Is there anything else that a woman going through this perimenopause experience, what, you know, again, it could be hormones, maybe it's something else that what she can do in terms of reducing or getting rid of that joint pain? Well, anything in the anti-inflammatory lifestyle, you know, because anti-inflammatory here is synonymous with slowing aging or anti-aging, which has been a, you know, a, a parallel of what I've learned to do here for joints and spines is now it, you know, branches into anti-aging, but anti-inflammatory diet, uh, lessened exposures to pro-inflammatory environment, whether it's in the water, in the food, in the, in the electromagnetic waves, proper uh, sleep and, and relaxation and rest and, and decreasing neuroinflammation, um, all, all the things that would normally go into a, a healthy pattern in general to slow inflammation in the body. Do you find in your practice that women who exercise uh, regularly, let's say sometimes it's intense or not, do they have more joint problems than women who aren't or more, but more sedentary? You know, this is where the balance of, of someone's capability is at a certain physical status are important. Exercise is probably the number one thing you can do uh, to reduce inflammation overall. Uh, and, and as a professor of mine used to say, uh, motion is lotion. So we have to keep moving. However, if you do overstress a joint or you have an old sports or injury or something, that joint may limit you or give pain or problems. So one has to work within those complexities, perhaps with some of the things we'll talk about here in the regenerative medicine or stem cell realm to improve you know, one bad joint so all the others can have the benefit of movement uh, will, might be one of the solutions to the issue. Let's move on then to the stem cells, because this is a whole other level. I've done podcasts, interviews uh, regarding platelet-rich plasma injections or PRP. This is another uh, thing that may help alleviate people with their joint pains. And that's the next level would be maybe PRGF, platelet-rich growth factors. And then it seems as though then there's the stem cells and the exosomes. Maybe there's something in between I, I don't know about. But the top tier, this seems to be the most advanced, or perhaps I'm not sure if it's the most effective, com- relatively speaking, to these other treatments. Let's 
take a look at stem cells. What are they and where do they sit on this spectrum of treatments? You basically gave some of the important tiers, which maybe we should cover, but um, we, we are made from stem cells. They are the cells that came from us when we were embryos, and some of them persist in our bodies to help us grow and develop into an adult and then help maintain us, regenerate liver, regenerate your skin cells, which is an ongoing process, regenerate some cells on the surface of the eye and other places. Well, they're, they're all throughout our body. The main store, the best store is in our bone marrow. And if you think of it, and I'll take a little, little diversion off this, the question for a moment, when you lose your bone density, you really hurt your longevity. And the opposite is you support your bone density, you support your longevity, because there are significant studies that show the more muscle mass and the more bone density you have, and those go together, because if you're moving, you're stimulating both. But the more of those you have, the longer you will live, plain and simple. And if you look at nursing home populations, um, you're seeing people with significantly declining bone mass, bone density. And what's in there? They're stem cells. So when you really hurt the source of the renewal in your body that you've had all along, then you're basically saying, okay, well, I, I, I can't renew forever. So the, the stem cells are the cells that can differentiate into the cells you need, whether you need more muscle cells or liver or heart cells after recovering from a heart attack. I mean, that's where they come from. Yes, your body makes growth factors, and most of those are from platelets. But the source, think about the source of those platelets and those growth factors is also the bone marrow. So the bone marrow is really the, the source of life and um, its source of renewed life. So stem cells, uh, bone, uh, the, the platelet-derived growth factors, and other, other uh, platelet-rich plasmas all come from there, including exosomes. So forever the stratify, I can keep going just for a moment. The, the lowest level, the simplest level of regenerative medicine biologics would be these plasmas, concentrated growth factors or platelet-rich growth factors that can be taken from your own blood. The next level up would be cells. So stem cells, and they come in different forms. We usually, we usually talk about what are called MSCs or mesenchymal stem cells. And these are stem cells that can divide into different tissues. Now there's research that you can have these cells be reversed with some certain little growth factors called Yamanaka factors, named for Dr. Yamanaka. And those can potentially be something to help treat cancer, and that's being heavily researched, not yet clinically available. Those cells have even more power, but these cells can only differentiate uh, these MSCs into the tissues we need in our body. But it turns out through lots of research and through stem cells that are given as a treatment or an augmentative approach to addressing problems, that these stem cells don't last but 10, or 10 to 14 days in the body. But the benefits last for many months. So why is that? Well, it turns out those stem cells are delivering cell-to-cell -cell signaling to our own cells. And by our own cells, I mean our, our regular cells and our stem cells that with age lose intensity and power. They're exposed to inflammatory changes. They're just not as effective. So you think about a three-year-old who scrapes his knee on the sidewalk, and three days later, that scab is almost completely healed. Well, we don't heal like that, but we could. It's just, we have the same biology in our bodies. It's just sluggish. So this activation of our own cells comes through cell-to-cell -cell signaling 
from youthful active stem cell sources. And that cell to cell signaling is called typically a nanoparticle or an exosome. So in my mind, exosome is probably the more efficient, longer lasting, easier to deliver and less costly regenerative biologic than stem cells. But for the purpose of this podcast and for many podcasts and writings, when we say stem cell biology, we're talking about all these things. Yes. Yeah. Because very often these go hand in hand. And so, yeah, we, just to reiterate, we've got the PRP, the PLA, the growth factors, then we have the stem cells. And it seems like you just said the exosomes are even more powerful or perhaps more cost effective. So that's like top of the tier. This episode is sponsored by Oxford HealthSpan, the creators of my favorite supplement, Primadine. I admit it, I am a total supplement junkie, but if I had to choose only one, it would be this one. And it's because Primadine is spermidine, and this is shown to activate autophagy, which is super important. Now, this is a cellular cleanup and recycling process that declines as we age. So as we get older, our cells accumulate a lot of junk and waste, which isn't good for our cells, our health, nor our longevity. So we need to clean it up. And if you want the research on this, go to OxfordHealthSpan.com and you can see all of it, showing how spermidine supports our brain, our hormones, and our heart health. And another great side effect is stronger hair, skin, and nails, but also longer eyelashes. But you know, the real important reason why I love Primadine is because I have never, ever received as much feedback on a product I recommended as I have with Primadine. Literally every week, someone reaches out to me on Facebook or Instagram with an amazing testimonial. And most of the time, it's about improved sleep. And even some of you told me it's reversed a bit of your gray hair too. So I find that totally amazing. So I can honestly say with 100% certainty that Primadine is the best spermidine supplement you'll ever find. And you can try it with a 15% discount by using the code Zora, Z-O-R-A, on OxfordHealthSpan.com. Just be sure to get back to me with your results too. Now enjoy the show. Where does this come from? I know that platelet-rich plasma or PRGF, this stuff, they literally just take your blood out of your arm, they spin in a centrifuge, and then 15 minutes later, they re-inject it. It sends that signal to the body to go and heal and repair itself. How different is a stem cell therapy or, or even, you know, we can talk about exosomes too. What is that, the, the differentiation, what does that look like? Sure. So there are two sources that there's your own body um, and they can be harvested, but, but really the stem cells, if you do stem cells come, the best source is your bone marrow. Yes, they can be harvested from fat, but fat is an inflamed tissue and we don't want a pro-inflammatory signal. So I'm not a big fan of that, although there are some decent results from fat-derived stem cells. I'm a big fan of uh, uh, not using our own tissues because our tissues, like I said, are sluggish and they've been exposed to years of inflammation, whether we wanted them to or not. So I don't want to put the old oil back into my car when I do an oil change. So I, I'm a big fan of the perinatal source. So this is mothers delivering by C-section who are screened and tested and, and consent to the donation of their 
their afterbirth tissues. What used to be trash is now biological treasure. So it, it, the source would be amniotic fluid. It would be um, it would be the placenta. It would be the umbilical cord. And this is rich in both stem cells and exosomes and growth factors and all the things that that make up these biologics. And, and just as a parenthetical, platelet-derived growth factors and platelet-rich plasma and all these things, they do have some cells and some exosomes in them. So ultimately, the, the exosomes when delivered to the body or the stem cells when they deliver to the body and they make exosomes for the body, um, those stimulate our own cells to make more platelet-rich growth factors and platelet-derived. So we're cutting out all these middlemen and going right to the source when we deliver exosomes, the source to stimulate our own cells and turn on our own factory like when it was younger. You mentioned a couple of times harvesting, harvesting stem cells. What does that mean? Well, if you were to have your own stem cells taken from your body, that, that has to come out of your bone marrow. That means you have to have a pretty good size cannula or, or trocar or you know, a very wide needle put into your bone. Um, and it's like a bone marrow biopsy needle. So usually it's from the back of the hip breast. You know, it can be done, but it, it, you feel it. <laughs> it it looks painful and sounds painful. I, you know, I've seen I've seen videos on it when I was researching PRP for my own uh, hips and knees and all that. And I saw this video and I was like, "Oh my god, that looks scary and painful." Is it? Is there an other alternative to that? Like you said, there was the fat cells, but maybe they're not as yeah, they're not as clean. I guess. Again, I I don't even recommend um, what we call auto harvest or taking your own. I recommend we we get this off the shelf. I buy it from labs that are compliant, government, uh, you know, uh, approved labs in, in the U.S. Um, and, and other countries have it as well. And it's basically this perinatal source. You don't have to use your own at all. But in wouldn't fact, it be better to use your own? Your body wouldn't reject it. I mean, is there a, is there a rejection? And, and people tend to like their own, their own molecules, their own cells. So wouldn't if you could tolerate it, would it be better to do your own harvest your own from from your own bone marrow? Well, it, it's interesting. That was a theoretical risk. However, it's it's interesting that stem cells tend to immunomodulate, and that's just a fancy doctor word for temper the immune system. So uh, I haven't really seen, both in my own experience and in the literature, any uh, rejection of stem cells. They sort of are protected and know how to get around the immune system. And to, to top that off even one, we're, we're using more exosomes these days. And exosomes do really not have cell surface markers because they're really not cells. So there's no known rejection of exosomes. I suppose it's theoretical, but it's never been seen. Although your concept is accurate 100%, we just don't see it. And it's not a worry in my mind. What about somebody who goes to Mexico or some other country where maybe it's not as regulated? Is there a risk? Because you said you get yours from a you know, very, very secure source. What is the risk of somebody doing this in another country where maybe there's less regulation? I want to speak objectively. And to do that, I have to say, I really don't know. Um, I, I don't mean to disparage what's happening in other countries because I don't know. And to be fair, a lot of the good work that I base what I do for people uh, on comes from Europe and Asia. We're not necessarily better in the U.S., so I, I just don't know, to be fair. Fair enough. You also uh, mentioned, I'm trying to think, it was one of the questions that I had, but anyways, I'll get back to it, it'll come to me. So 
then the way this is that you inject through uh, just like you would any other, I don't know, steroid injection or uh, PRP injection. It does it look like that in the sense that you just get some big old needle and it's a quick, it's a quick uh, injection and you're done. Sometimes it, it depends on what we're addressing. My practice has expanded where I was doing, you know, mostly spine and brain care as a neurosurgeon. And now I'm doing many more things, uh, joint work. We do things, um, you know, intravenous, depending on the, what we're addressing from autoimmune issues, inflammatory issues. You know, we talked about uh, supporting the bone marrow and bone density and, 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 and plenty of, we'll call it musculoskeletal joints, things like that. We even have, you know, some cosmetic things and we treat dry eye, eye syndrome by activating the meibomian glands in the eyelid. There are just so many interesting things we're, we're doing now. Wow. Yeah. See, we're pretty focused on the joints and joint pain in this discussion, but it's a lot of other things that you can, can take care of with this stem cell therapy. How long has this been going on in terms of actual practice? Let's say not just in the US, but uh, abroad. And how much experience do we have in general of stem cell therapy? I base a lot of what I do in the joints uh, on the work of Dr. Philippe Hernagau uh, from France. And two years ago, he published his 15-year follow-up data from the knee study. You add the two years ago, he's now 17 years, at, at least in an organized study, he may have been doing it before that. So I would say we're close to 20 years of clinical experience. And do we know, do we know how many people are in that study? Is it a large or a medium, small? I'd have to look it up, but I think there are over a hundred registrants in the study and they have followed these, these patients and have uh, wonderful results. And, and my protocol is largely based on that study. So what about the risks to stem cell therapy? Can, can things go wrong? Anything has risks, right? You inject someone and there's a risk of infection. If you don't do it in a clean and, and sterile way, there's always a risk of of you know hitting an artery and causing bleeding or a hematoma, which is a collection of blood. Um, these are true for any type of injection, but hopefully we do these so many times that we we do our best to avoid these structures as best as we can. And I haven't seen any other risks. Uh, there's some soreness uh, for a few days, but um, you know I know that you, one of your uh, proposed questions had to deal with a platelet. Uh, 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 derive growth factors and things and how you spoke to uh, a, a Russian doctor. No, it was a doctor in Spain. Yeah. Who, who said he was doing research on stem cells. I think he wants to go in that field because, uh, and I asked him about stem cells. Hey, what about that? And he said, Ooh, yeah. A lot of studies I, I looked at in Russia led to cancerous cell growth. So I, my question was like, is this true? Can things go wrong that way? I, I have scoured the literature and I, I did another literature search for about an hour before we went on, on the air here. And I can find nothing that indicates that uh, regenerative medicine in, in these forms can induce, you know, cancer of any kind. If, if you reverse the cells, as I was alluding to earlier, then they may have a potential to become you know, what we call as multipotent or even pluripotent or, or beyond or omnipotent. And those cells can form anything, right? So we, we don't want to drive them back that far. We want just these, you know, multipotent rather. I think I said that in the earlier group, but multipotent means it just develop into any type of cell we have. 
the MSCs, right? Right. Okay. The mesenchymal cells. So yeah, there's, like you mentioned, there's several different types of cells. So in you, your practice, and I'm guessing in the majority of the people's practices, they're using MSCs for their stem cell therapy, correct? Well, I'm in, I'm in the exosome camp most of the time. So, but the vast majority of the world is using MSCs. You mentioned it's always best to get the youngest cells and that's why you use umbilical cords and I'm so regretting not saving my placenta and umbilical cords of my children when I gave birth and it's too late. But is it too late for somebody, let's say in their 70s, 80s, when their their cells are already in a different state than much farther than when they were born? To Can we use those if they wanted to, if they didn't want to go down the umbilical cord route? You, you can. I don't advise it. I wouldn't want that, but you can. There are stem cells still active in, in a person of that age, and you'd have to harvest them and concentrate them better. But I think it's uh, a long way to go for a short benefit. I, I, would, I would go with the youngest, best, most effective, unadulterated, uninflamed biologic. So that's what so you're saying then that, yeah, you're, the older you are, the more degraded or maybe perhaps the less effective the stem cell therapy may be. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. These cells have been exposed to the same inflammatory burden that someone has been exposed to over all those decades. Let's talk about then the the procedure. Does this happen in a clinic? Do you have to go to a hospital? How long does it take? You know, I, I know what PRP is, and that literally it's like 30 minutes. You're in and out of just a little clinic. It's so fast. Some people I know do it in their homes. The doctor comes with their centrifuge. It seems like quite a fast procedure. What, how does, how does stem cell therapy compare? Well, you know, most of the work is done ahead of time. And this is what we call, you know, personalized precision medicine. Most of my patients don't live where I am. And I'm speaking to you from Henderson, Nevada, which is a suburb of Las Vegas, Nevada. Most of our clients have found us remotely and we start the process like this by Zoom. We get their records. We make sure their bodies are optimized with the right supplements and lifestyles and things, because if we're going to do this, we want it to have the best results. And then we do need to look at the joint in detail. You know, most people come to us and say, my doctor says I have arthritis. My doctor says I have bone on bone, but that doesn't tell us exactly what's going on in the joint. So we get usually an MRI study and it has to be ordered at the highest quality and the right images. It can't be just a run of the mill MRI. So most people, we help them get that remotely. We get the results here, we put it on the screen, I share the screen, we show them the pictures, and we'll look for the individual targets uh, for a joint. And those targets are usually in the bone marrow adjacent to the joint. Again, this is the French protocol, and we have echoed their results. And once that's all set, then they can make travels to Las Vegas, plan a little trip around it, and then we, we bring them in. Some people need an MRI and we arrange, they get to the airport, go right to the MRI center, come right to my office, and we, we go over things. But the actual procedure is done in a, in a clean, sterile injection facility under fluoroscopy guidance with a little bit of sedation. It, you know, a single joint might not take me 15 minutes, um, but most of, the, most of the time and effort is ahead of time. Once we know where to go, it's, that's just finishing it up, really. Do you use an ultrasound to try to find out exactly where are you just, you know? We use a fluoroscopy machine, which is a video x-ray, but the x-ray tells us what, where to go, but we already know 
where we're targeting based on the MRI study and based on the examination. Some people come in and their MRI has lots of findings, but they only hurt in one place. So we want to focus on where the problem is, not just what looks bad on the imaging. So you need to inject in the site of the problem. If it's a shoulder, you inject the shoulder. It's not a systemic thing where you just put it in your belly and done. It goes to the site. You, you need to actually target an area, right? It's even more targeted than that. It's a specific areas in the shoulder. Shoulder's a big joint, right? We want to be more specific and hit exactly. We want the best results. So we will concentrate in that area. Are there people who come in with, you know, I've got lots of joint pain. My bone density is not so great. Yeah. And the intravenous route may be the thing to start with. It's not going to give you the same type of focused intensity of a precise injection, however, depends on the issue. And sometimes we do a mix. They have little aches and pains everywhere. We address that with an IV and then we see what's remaining. And if they, oh, it's my knee, then, then we'll treat the knee separately, directly. Hey, I'm butting in for a quick second. If you enjoy the content brought to you in this podcast, consider supporting Hack My Age by becoming a patron on patreon.com. This is where you can drop a tip or become a member for the price of a coffee. Members get special material, free coaching, and private Zoom calls. Join us by going to patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash hack my age. Thanks for your support. Now let's get back to the podcast. You mentioned... Uh, there's a protocol, for, I'm not sure if it's pre-injection or if it's pre-taking uh, out the blood. What is that procedure? Is there before and after things that you need to do? The, 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 the procedure is not invasive. It's, we don't take any blood. This is, I'm, I'm using off-the-shelf perineal exosomes. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Almost routinely. Um, this is, it's almost too easy. It's a lot easier than the complex spine and brain surgeries I used to do for sure. But the protocol before is basically getting the body ready, um, making sure the, all the they're maximizing the anti-inflammatory lifestyle. In some cases, it could be bioidentical hormone optimization. It could be changing a few lifestyle issues, diet, what have you. We want the body the best state to receive and benefit from these regenerative um, approaches. So I've heard that in other uh, other areas in my research, the people who do think that they are extracting near the bone marrow, they like to get their patients on senolytics to get rid of the damaged cells or the, the ones that are not so great, and then get, put them in an optimal state. And I know you're not doing that, but I was I, I, I was wondering if that would be an interesting protocol, even if, despite you're not taking out your blood or your the bone marrow, but you are actually with the injection. Would that help somebody, or does that already not apply. Oh, it, it, it could definitely be part of an individual's preparation and ongoing uh, way of addressing, um, you know, how, how one clears out the, the senescent cells. So senolytics can easily be part of that. We do talk about senolytics. Many of them are not approved for claims in the United States, but we do talk about them and they can be obtained and used. Okay. So you would inform your, your patients, okay, take the senolytics a month before and the injection and I don't know if that's even worth doing after, but there is a possibility. So, and to clean up their diet and lifestyle that just, yeah, priming the environment, I guess would be good. But some other people who were doing stem cell therapy, they would say, actually, 
Uh, no, it doesn't matter if the body's in an inflammatory state. We don't really care. The stem cells know what to do. If you actually remove all the inflammation, that doesn't really know where to go or where to target. They, that's how they sort of the signaling process. What do you say about that? There, there is a signaling process by which uh, places of, of in more intense local inflammation release cytokines, which are small proteins that call for help and that stem cells are, are attracted to those areas. So yes, that's a known phenomenon. And, you know, even though we deliver some of these things directly near a joint, um, we can really help the, the cell signaling helps the effect of senolytics and body preparation and, and changing the inflammatory burden doesn't get, uh, doesn't become negligible uh, when, when someone is having these types of treatment approaches, um, every little bit helps. And, you know, some of these, uh, the glycan age, some of the other age, uh, biological age tests, you know, you can get an idea of the, of the rate of aging. And all these approaches to suppressing inflammation help to slow the rate of biological aging. How long does it take for someone to feel the effects of the therapy? Whether it's a shoulder pain or joints, or knees, backs, how long does it take? These regenerative biologics, stem cells, exosomes, what have you flip the cell metabolism and pathways from one of inflammatory one to, an, to a fighting inflammation, anti-inflammatory pathway. And sometimes uh, right away, people have reduction in pain because of the inflammatory component of that pain. The regeneration component takes months. Um, I just spoke to someone last week who's three months after a knee and some ankle procedures. And um, the, the person just had probably no more than 25% benefit for the first three months, but turned the corner. And last time we talked was, was the three-month mark, and they were 50% better in the worst joint and 85% better in the best joint. So that's the ongoing many months of regenerative activity where we're stimulating the stem cells to make the cartilage that it made in the first place when, it, when, when that factory formed it as a fetus and a, and a baby. We're just tapping back in and asking the factory to make the equipment again. It's incredible what we can do. It's really amazing. It's fascinating. So I'm wondering then in your experience with your clients and as well as what does the research show in terms of the efficacy rate? What's the percentage of people who have success? Because I remember when I was doing research for PRP, it was the research was showing somewhere between 50 and 80% success. What is it for stem cell therapy? Well, going off the French study that has the, published the 15-year follow-up two years ago, I think is our longest lasting and most robust study. And in this study, um, they took patients who were end-stage cartilage degeneration of the knee. So we, you might refer to that as bone-on-bone -bone or grade four chondromalacia or osteoarthritis or any other word that people would use. It's the same thing. They took these patients said, hey, instead of having a knee replacement, would you like to join our study? And of course, many people said, yeah, I'll try that. And half, half the patients in the study got stem cell concentrate injections from their own body. This is because 15 or 17 years ago, that's all that was available. No exosomes were directly available anyway. Stem cell injections uh, concentrated from their own bone marrow, injected either half of them into the bone above and below the joint and half of them into the joint cartilage itself what we call interarticular. So it turns out by 15 years, looking back, 
early on, many of the patients did well, but by 15 years, the patients who had the intraarticular injections, only about 25% of them were still doing well. But the bone injected people were about 83% still doing well, meaning their joints no longer needed that knee replacement surgery that are recommended 15 years earlier. So it turns out there's these bone injections are stimulating the factory, the stem cells in the bone that make the protein and cartilage proteins that, that make cartilage. So they were regenerating the cartilage, the lubrication of the cartilage, the, the, the nutrients to the cartilage, and reducing the inflammation that was causing the degeneration of the joint in the first place. And if you work towards repairing those things, then the pain and the improves, the function improves. So, so I follow that protocol. We're injecting the bone just above and below the joint. We're doing the same in the spine. We're doing it in the hip, the knee, and, and other joints. And they only got one injection and that's it? One treatment? No, there were a couple of different studies. One was a single, one was a double, but we are getting the results with a single exosome procedure. And I have not yet had anyone who needed a second one. Wow. And how long have you been doing this? We're on our fifth year, uh, although we've been gaining more volume in the last year or two, just because this is, this is catching traction and word is getting out. That's really good news because I know that PRP generally, in my experience and those I, I read about everywhere else, they have to do it every year. It's kind of a maintenance thing. It's uh, not actually reversing anything, uh, but it is keeping you going. So it actually sounds like maybe it's a better investment. Just do it once and get it over with because it's expensive, isn't it? Stem cell therapy. How much are we talking about? Yeah. So, you know, um, I, I purchased the biologics, the exosomes, and we have to, of course, pay for the surgery center and the, the anesthesiologist for sedation. This isn't general anesthesia, it's just sedation. So a, a single joint is usually two doses, one above and below the knee, for example. And something like that runs around um, 85 to 9,500, depending on my cost of the biologics, US, which actually isn't bad. You think about the time and cost of surgery and the downtime or, you know, three rounds of PRP, you know, you're, you're almost there anyway. But insurance pays for a, a surgery. That's what drives me crazy because, you know, that's why people just go ahead and do that because this stem cell therapy is usually out of pocket, right? Yeah, it is. Um, insurance pressures. We shouldn't even be able to use the word insurance. It, it, they, they really only insure what they want to insure. So um, they don't pay for it. So we, we, most of our clients are using HSA plans or health savings account plans because they can control that or, or uh, other means. I think everybody needs to have some kind of a plan or a budget as we age. <laughs> probably should start from childhood and just don't touch that money because you will probably need it as you get older because of the insurance not paying for things. And we, we really need to do that. I remember the first time I heard about stem cell therapy, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15, maybe 20 years ago, I don't remember. It was illegal. Like you couldn't do it. And there was all this controversy. What's Where are we now? Is it legal in most areas? Like obviously now in the US you're doing this or is there any problems still? I don't know that it's ever actually been illegal. Um, the issue is the FDA, as we mentioned on the outset of the podcast, um, the FDA regulates what claims can be made uh, for a product or, or food or medicines or supplements or 
surgical implants. Um, so I am not allowed to make a claim that any of these regenerative biologics, including PRP, can treat or cure a disease or condition. That's their words. That is violating an FDA statute. Uh, so I don't do that. And I make it clear to all my clients or anyone I talk to, we don't want to violate that. So I make clear that I can't make those claims. I can talk about people I've addressed and I can't guarantee that we get those results for any individual. But as a physician, I've never guaranteed anything in my entire career because I can't. We can't do that. As long as we don't run afoul of the FDA, you know, it's very interesting because some insurance companies pay for PRP. That's amazing. Well, the amazing thing is it's still not FDA approved for claims. But people mistake the word approved for being unapproved. And that's not true. The FDA also hasn't unapproved these things. And they don't have the authority to, uh, to say what we can and can't do. We have to do what's best for our patients with full informed consent um, and let the patient, of course, be directly involved in the decision and opinions. Um, they, they approve claims. So some people have twisted that into there's no proof this works or, and there's plenty of scientific work. I mean, there are thousands and thousands of articles at a growing rate. And the, the FDA decides when it's time or when it's brought to them to get this approved. There's a lot of pressure on them to, to get this done. Well, the FDA approves ding-dongs and Pringles. So sometimes I question <laughs> whether it's even valuable. Uh, so, okay, very interesting. So perhaps it was the use of umbilical cords or something that was controversial. It was something I remember going, ooh, interesting. Let's watch this space. But what about the candidate for stem cell therapy? Are there any contraindications or people who really just, they're not, have you declined anyone because he said, you know what, you're, you're not a candidate? Yes and yes. We, anyone who's dependent on a blood thinner, prevention of heart attack or stroke and can't come off the blood thinner long enough to have the treatment, we can't, we can't treat because we're doing a needle procedure. Secondly, um, anyone who is, who's got active cancer or recent cancer, we won't treat because we just don't have enough information. I don't want to make that problem worse. I don't know that it would, but I also don't want to be the one to find out. I'm going to open up the mic um, for our guest and uh, ask questions or comments or anything before, because I got a lot of more other questions, but I'm going to, I'm going to leave the last five minutes um, for anyone who wants to say anything. Hello. Hi, Dr. Jeffrey. Thank you for uh... This intervention today, uh, I mean, stem cells is something uh, yeah, I'm uh, interested, obviously. Uh, I've done PRP. Uh, the thing as Zoha, as you mentioned, PRP lasts only for a few months. It's like an ongoing uh, treatment for life. First of all, it costs uh, you know, money. And um, this is not sustainable. I just want to find something that uh, I can do once and repeat. As you mentioned, it's been five years since you started and uh, in five years, so you haven't had to repeat it yet. But obviously, it's going to happen. But this is a long, long time, much better than PRP. Yeah, this is something I'm, I'm, I'm currently in Spain. So I don't know if in, in Europe uh, there is any centers like yours. I mean, it's a long way to go to Nevada um, for me. Uh, what I'm interested in is when you, you mentioned about the step, our own stem cells, obviously, they get... Uh, over time, with the age, get a little bit, um, they're not very as efficient as a, a newborn. I, of course, I totally get it. My question is, is about, um, for this, uh, placenta and exosome, which come from, uh, baby umbilical cord and, um, is the vaccine, uh, the COVID vaccine, 
vaccinated and I'm aware of uh, this COVID vaccine. Is this something you you personally you look at for select when you do the selection? Because you mentioned that you, you what you select is is is, is I mean is, is is well uh trace and everything, but what about the COVID vaccine? Yeah, it's a great question, Corinne. Thank you. I'm gonna answer a few of your comments. First, I think there are places in Europe. I did some homework before we got on here, and you know, I'm not I'm not the only uh, person who follows this protocol for joints. I'm not the only person who is exosome friendly. There are other places, and you you don't have to come to Nevada for for this. Secondly, you know, um, different labs supply these materials to us in the U.S. Earlier this year, I switched to a lab who now is only using donors who have not been vaccinated. Not because we have a known concern. Well. Not because we know there is an issue, but because there's a question, right? We are now starting to see literature, scientific literature supporting problems from the vaccine. So to avoid the question, we now have a source of unvaccinated donors from a particular lab where I acquire materials. We were using labs who did not screen for that. So that means some of the donors had the vaccine, some did not. But now in the post pandemic world, it's smart to pay attention. I agree with you. It's going to be asked. The question is going to be more and more asked. That is for sure. So we have to be prepared on this. I mean, you I mean, in the scientific world and lab and all this, because this is a question always into my mind for anything I'm thinking of. Yes. Agreed. hundred percent. Thank you. Well, Dr. Gross, you, you actually said you follow the protocol of someone in France and uh, that's, is that somebody she could get in touch with? Yes. Thank you, Zohan. Uh, I believe that Dr. Hernagal's group is um, uh, academic, so uh, they probably at a university, and I'd have to look up the paper. And if you want, um, I'll I'll send it along, Zora, to you, and you can share with your audience um, where they're located and then what they're doing. They still may be doing bone marrow concentrate. I don't know, but uh, they're they're getting good results. So you can't argue with facts. Well, you can, but then you just be beating your head against the wall. <laughs> One question I was wondering, I heard that stem cells can also heal the gut or help with gut issues. Is that true? Anything in the body that has an inflammatory basis, and that's vague because so many so many pathways of degradation and degeneration are based on proteins of inflammation, proteins being the what the cells are doing and making. Gut is one of them. Gut is highly sensitive to inflammation because it's kind of the inside skin, really. It's you know, we have skin on the outside and we have we have the, the gastrointestinal tract, which is technically outside the body. Even though it's in us, it passes through us. It's like a hole within us. The lining of the gastrointestinal tract is is uh, more sensitive than skin. Skin's, skin has had to deal with the environment more. So there is an inflammatory response. And then you get into problems when it's so inflamed, like leaky gut syndromes and all these things. So regenerative medicine can reduce inflammation in the gastrointestinal tract, yes. Through stem cells, or are you talking about some other regenerative medicine procedure? I, I, when we speak of regenerative medicine, it could, be, it could be stem cells, it could be exosomes, it could be some combination, it could even be some of these uh, platelet-derived growth factors or platelet-rich plasmas used in the right way. Interesting. 
I'm going to have to let you go. Um, I've got still a lot of questions. I hope to have you back. If somebody wants more information, can they reach out to you for consultation, no matter where they are in the world? And is there a charge for this or they have to be in person? Um, if they if they mention uh, your name and that they found us on this podcast, uh, we will waive the, the consultation charge. Oh, nice. Thank and, you. Uh, but they have to mention your name. Zora. Then, uh, <laughs> In case they don't know. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, we, we would love to meet uh, people from all over and, and offer advice. I enjoy this. I, I have a new passion again in practicing um, because of this. So I would love to help anyone I can. Thank you. Very, very thoughtful. I will have links to all of your website, your TikTok, Insta, Facebook. You got all of this stuff everywhere. It's always recelebrate with the double L like sell. Okay. If you can remember that, recelebrate. I have links there. And you've got a freebie for us, which is very interesting. I have a link to that. The the freebie is, I think, a questionnaire and helps people figure out which treatments for them or what was that? Yes. So there, there's a, a fun questionnaire. There's a link. Uh, you can also go, we have a, a freebie uh, for if you type in recelebrate slash back pain, we have recelebrate slash joint pain. There are lots of little guides and freebies and, and answer some of the questions you may have. So please, and you know, whatever we can do. Awesome. So before I let you go, any last words for a woman going through menopause? Exercise would be the number one thing you can do to reduce inflammation and slow the process. You know, diet, sleep, rest, breathing, all that's important, but exercise, keep moving. Um, and weight-bearing exercise stimulates your organs of longevity, your bone and your bone density and your muscle mass. When you say exercise, what does that mean? Walking? Well, yoga? That, that would be a whole different podcast, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> weight-bearing exercise. So some resistance work with, with exercise bands or weights. And then something involving using the feet on the ground. So walking, jogging, power walking, bicycling and swimming really don't count as weight bearing per se, although they're good for the heart. So we want people pounding the pavement. Thank you so much. I'm excited to, to have you on again. I hope everybody found this super useful and I hope you have a great day in Nevada. Thank you. Bye-bye, everybody. Hey, did you enjoy the podcast? Don't forget to subscribe to be notified of all the new episodes and leave a review to help build the tribe. It's a small act of kindness that brings me big benefits and helps others find this amazing content. The best thing you can do is share. Sharing is caring. Statements made on this podcast have not been evaluated by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Anything we say or products we mention are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information provided by this podcast is not a substitute for personal medical advice and not intended to replace a one-on-one -on -one relationship with a qualified healthcare professional. It is intended as a sharing of knowledge and information from the personal research and experience of me and my guests.